Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are observing men and women in the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we consider the virtuous woman Ruth, her mutual bond with her mother-in-law Naomi, and her faithful kinsman redeemer Boaz. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, as we consider the book of Ruth, I want to briefly introduce this, very briefly because there's a lot to be considered here. Ruth, the book of Ruth, the way I want to, the way I think we need to look at it is a book of devotion. Devotion is throughout this story and this account and also friendship, a devoted friendship. In fact, the name Ruth means friend. So, I want, you know, we need to pay attention to that. The other brief thing I want to say is something I find fascinating. I, I love the placement of the book of Ruth going into First and Second Samuel because it's still in the time of Judges. However, in the canon of the Jews, in the Torah, they have it right after Proverbs and, and just before Psalms. And if you read Proverbs, the last chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, it goes into the virtuous wife, what a virtuous wife looks, looks like. And, and in fact, Ruth is, is called a virtuous woman. We'll, we'll look at that. But I find it fascinating that in their canon, that it ends up with, you know, basically who can find a virtuous wife. And then it goes straight into the story of Ruth. I, think, I find God's, God's providence, I think that's a beautiful way. I still find it applicable and fantastic where we have it in our canon but I just wanted to make that point uh, that, that I think that's I think that's providential I think that's fantastic so beside that I want us to just jump in you know we, we what, what we're gonna start doing is being a little bit more brief with these accounts and God willing will return to them at another time but like I said last week what I want us to do what we need to do is kind of or Something that might be advantageous is, is looking at this as a movie. And the way this movie opens up is it gives a very brief introduction. So let's just jump in and then we'll carry it on from there, okay? So, chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. So, this is happening during the time of judges. So, if you want to look at the movie, you know... <laughs> What, what an interest, the way I kind of picture making the introduction is going back to the deliverance of Moses and then just briefly showing, you know, the, the people's consternation, the people's doubt, you know, kind of a thing and faithlessness in the wandering of the wilderness. And then it moves quickly over to Joshua and then the time of the judges where there's, where the people start to decay again. And then right here is where the scene starts. Now there's a famine in the land. Let's remember some of the accounts with judges. There was a famine during the time of Gideon. We don't know exactly when this time was, but it was at some point of, remember, the period of judges was between 250 to 350 years. So sometime, at some point in that, in that time period, this story takes place. And there's a, there's a famine in this land. So that's the backdrop. And then briefly, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread, so or the house of food. And so it's somewhat ironic. It's a judgment of God to you know, cause a famine in this place that is called the house of bread. Now, David was born 
in Bethlehem. So was Christ. So this is a pointing forward to, this is, this is going to be a glimpse into Bethlehem. Very brief, but again, this, this story ends with looking forward to David. So this story was likely written during the time of David. As I mentioned last week, some of the end of Judges was written during the reign of David. People speculate that it might have been Samuel himself who wrote it. We don't know. We don't know who the writer was, but this definitely had to have been written from oral tradition, as we talked about through our apologetic study, but later composed during the reign of David. So Bethlehem is a big deal. So this is the kind of first, not introduction, but this is the first pointing forward to David, who's going to be born in the city of Bethlehem, and then obviously the Christ, the, the ultimate, the King of Kings is going to be born in this self-same place. So this is the backdrop. This is the backdrop. This is the little brief introduction, and now, now here comes the story. Now here's the first act, where Ruth comes in kind of later. The, the first chapter is really about Naomi. Okay, so let's, let's go ahead and continue. So, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were, were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites uh, of Bethlehem, Judah. So, Abimelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasant or delightful. And that's going to make a that's going to play a part. I'm, I want to give you the the meanings of these names because they're symbolic. Okay, the name of their sons Molon means sick, and Chilion means basically wet, wasting away. So I think that they're they're probably naming their sons like this because of the famine. You know, they're 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 being judged and they're they're naming their sons based about based on what's around them. You know, the land is sick. The people of God are sick and seemingly wasting away in the land. Okay, so these, that's the, those are the names of these two sons. <clears throat> and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then, then uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So they go to Moab. Now Moab, he was a son of Levi. Remember, Levi was Abraham's nephew. Okay, And, and long story short, after Sodom and Gomorrah, his two daughters are left to procreate with their father. It, it, it's... Kind of a terrible account, but they were left to do that to to continue the the genealogy, to continue the name. Okay, so Moab Moab has times of uh, of being allies with Israel, but even in the Book of Judges, they're their enemies, and there are times even during the kingdom kingdom times that they are their enemies. But right now, they are going to Moab because Judah is suffering a famine. Now. There are two things I want to briefly say about this. One, this is to be somewhat commended. Elimelech is looking for the care of his, his family, and so there's no food here. There's no food here where we need to eat or else we're going to die. So it's sort of wise on his part and prudent to, to, to move his family to a place where they can find bread and sustenance. However, the people are called to trust in God. This is a sin. 
which only is added to when they have his, their sons marry Moabite women. Remember, they're not supposed to marry strangers. They're only supposed to marry within uh, the people of Israel. Okay, so as much as might be commended for Elimelech to take his family to Moab to save them, he did not trust in God. This man's name was my God is king. And he didn't trust in God that way. Seemingly, his own wisdom was his king. Okay, And then he died. And then, you know, the, his two sons still survived. They, they marry Oprah or Orpah. I can't see her name without saying Oprah. <laughs> it's Orpah and Ruth. Okay, Milan <coughs> married Ruth. Chilion married Orpah. Okay, so two, two of the sons survived. And then after they marry her, them, they die too. Now, Naomi, Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons. She's lost everything. Let me put it that way. This is extreme devastation that we cannot lose. We cannot lose sight of. So let's look at the movie here. She is distraught. First, her husband dies. That's bad enough. That's bad enough. But now at least she has her two sons. They're married. Hopefully they're going to pro procreate soon and she'll be a grandmother and make it the best she can. Right? But, but she, she, is she loses all hope of her husband ever coming home again. Every morning she wakes up, he will not be there anymore. Let's not see these people as abstract people that just we happen to come across. This is real life. This is real life stuff that people suffer now. Okay, so she's suffering. Okay, now her two daughters-in-law have lost a husband too. But we're going to see they are, Naomi is a godly woman. This is lost a lot, but, but Naomi truly is a faithful and godly woman. She's not perfect, as we'll see, but she is a faithful, godly woman that has is, that is manifested this great devotion from her daughters-in-law. So, let's continue. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she heard in Moab that the famine is no longer. God, God has likely sent a deliverer. And now the people have repented, and now he's, he's providing them with food again and sustenance. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So, these two daughters-in-law are joining her, at least for now, to basically the outskirts of the city. Okay, to see her off. But we'll see that they're actually inclined to go with her. Okay, but right now... It's on the way to Judah. Okay. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord granted you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So basically Naomi's saying, Go home. Don't, 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 you know, I, I understand we have a very close relationship and a close bond. That's why I care only for your good. Yes, of course I would love your companionship. I, I am lost. I am destitute. I'm grieving. I am I, full of sorrow. Of course I would love a companion who, whom I can trust, truly trust, who we can be devoted to each other. But right now, 
You have no hope. You know, I want the best for you. I want you to find a husband. And we'll see. This. So let's just continue real quickly. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. By the way, Orpah, the, the name isn't all, all that clear about what it means. There's a gazelle. But, all, but, but the etymo, etymological derivation, which we know about now, really signifies a fleeing foe or somebody who flees. And because she does go back to her household. So, but Naomi, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be, that they may be your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say, I ha if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is a Leverite um, law. Basically, if, if you were to marry, you know, if a woman and a, a, a man marry and the man dies without the woman bearing any children, the next of kin would take his place. So, you know, in y'all's situation, <laughs> uh, yeah, so think of that. But, so, but that would be the deal. So, that this is going to be very important because what uh, Boaz is, is what's called a kinsman redeemer. Not just a redeemer, but a kinsman redeemer. The one of a closest relationship to redeem what was lost from the death of these husbands. Okay, that's going to take, play a part later. But, so Naomi's imploring them, turn back. I mean, I'm too old to have sons anyway, but even if I should have a husband right now, and you know, and we have, we happen to have twins, would you really wait until they're fully grown to, to marry them? I'm not going to ask that of you. I don't expect that of you. Please, please go back home. Go back home and find yourself a husband. This is the way it was back then. So go ahead and go back home. Know my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of, of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi knows whatever her circumstances are, are, prov are provided and only given and manifested by God himself. So even if it's a judgment, even, even, if, it's a, even if it's a terrible circumstance, she knows that it's of the Lord, but she says um, for, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It grieves me very much for your sake, so please go back home. The Lord is, is, is doing this to me, and I don't, I, would, I do not desire for this to be your place in life, okay? You know, yes, you lost your husbands, but you're still young. Go and remarry. Go find a husband of your people, of your people. Go back to your God, your people. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So she's, Naomi's saying, look, look, Orpah went. Orpah went. It's fine. I'm fine with that. Okay? Don't, don't cleave to me because you, you think that you owe me something. Okay? Don't cleave to me because of that. Orpah's gone back. Now you go back. This, I find to be a beautiful response from Ruth. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. 
the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. There's a lot here. There's parallelisms. There's, there's so much poetic structure here that, God willing, when we return to this, we will look at. But, but let me just show, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people, and your God, my God. So it's your and it's mine. It's your and it's mine. Your, mine. She is, remember Rahab, remember Rahab, left her people to become the community of the people of God. That is what Ruth is saying. That is what Ruth is saying. Not because destruction is imminent, not because Moab's about to be destroyed, but because I have seen your faithfulness. I know your God. Please do not entreat me to go. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Ruth is amazing in this respect. And this points forward to the Gentiles being grafted in to the vine of Christ. See our providence of our God. Where, you know, the tendency is to see that the Old Testament was just specific to Jews. Which generally it was. But even the Gentiles then are grafted in. Rahab was not an Israelite. Ruth is not an Israelite. And both of these women are in the lineage of our Lord. Beautiful, wonderful. God is faithful. So open, you know, we must open our minds a little bit more broadly, you know, as it applies to how we see the Bible. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Not because she was angry. Not because she was angry. This is a time for peace. This is a time. She's still in sorrow. She's still mourning. But she knows she can't talk her daughter-in-law into go, going back now. Ruth is not going back. And it still grieves Naomi. She has no idea what awaits her when she gets home. As we'll see. But she has no idea. So she's still grieving at the possibility of Ruth being an outcast. Because she's not an Israelite. So, let's continue. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? What a wonderful greeting. Naomi didn't expect this, but what a providence of God. What a great providence of God. She's been away for so long. She's, she comes back without her husband, without her two sons, and one of her daughters-in-law. And the people rejoice over seeing her. This would be this would, this would typically signify to the people that the Lord is judging her. If you read Job, his friends are the same way, basically. You're suffering because you sinned and you haven't, you, you know, you haven't repented of it. You haven't asked for forgiveness. And that wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. Satan asked if he could you know, do that to, to Job, and, and God allowed it. It's because God's providence. It's not because you know, he, he hadn't repented of something. But these people know that. These wonderful people know that. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. A lot of times they would come home in this situation and, and, and to utter despondency and utter indifference. Okay, you're back home. Go and do your thing. Go and do your thing. But she said, do not call me Naomi. Remember, which means pleasant and delightful. Call me Mara. Remember Mara? The water, the bitter waters? That's what she's saying. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. I'm no longer delightful. I'm bitter. I'm no longer pleasant. I'm bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned 
and Ruth the Moabitess, her, da her daughter-in-law, went with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So, just so you know, very briefly, the, barley, the harvest time is a great time. I mean, it's a cause for huge celebration, even today. In other countries, it's a cause for great festiv festivities. You know, they make it a big deal. Everybody's really happy. Okay, let me put it that way. And they're very excited, especially after a famine. Let's look at the, you know, the circumstances of these people. So, going into chapter 2. So, Act 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. Now, this term, a man of great wealth, the, the, the Hebrew is Hael, okay? And that is the same word that is given to Ruth later in chapter 3, which we'll see, about a virtuous, she's a virtuous woman. So, I think it's more, basically what the writer is saying is, not that he's filled with riches, but that he's very virtuous. He's very, he's a big deal in Bethlehem. He's highly respected, as we'll see. He's highly, highly respected because he is a good man. Not because he's rich and everybody just is trying to get stuff from him, because he's a good, virtuous man. And, and, and the writer is just introducing Boaz at this point. He, he, he just says, there's a guy named Boaz. Now, <laughs> we turn back to Ruth. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose side I may find favor. So she's basically saying, let me go out, find a field, and you know whoever will let me do this. Now, this goes back to Deuteronomy 20, chapter 25, where, where God provides for the poor. During the harvest time, basically you would glean the harvest, and then whatever's left over, basically on the ground, kind of the leftovers, is for the poor. And also in certain corners, in the corners of your land, you would leave that unharvested for the poor. So God is providing for the poor, but not like the beggars who just sit around and wait for sustenance. God is providing for the poor that are willing to work. He does provide for the elderly widows and the lame and the destitute who cannot work. As we've seen, the lame man begging at the temple. That is fine. God is fine with that. But those who can work must work, even if they're poor and all they get are scraps. And that's basically what they're getting. But Ruth also asks, she doesn't ask Naomi, hey, now that we're here, how are you going to provide for us? <laughs> because you're the elderly one, so how, how is this going down? Ruth asks her, and she didn't ask her, Hey, Naomi, why don't, we go, why don't we go glean the scraps? How about you and I just go out there and take care of this? Ruth asks her, Do you mind if I go and, and go around a foreigner to go around to, other, to these fields to glean? But she already knows the law of God, so she knows this is permitted. Ruth is amazing. Ruth, Ruth is fantastic. But she's asking her, may I go? And she said, go, my daughter. Again, in my little movie picture scenario, she, she answers her, go, go, my daughter. And then, then the music starts to get a little softer. And, and Ruth goes out the door. And then all of a sudden, Naomi gets up. And she opens the door, looks out, and watches her as she drifts into the sunset, or into the sunrise along the path until she's gone and she's still saying go my daughter go my daughter i hope the best for you beautiful they're devoted to each other they're devoted to each other so ruth asks for her permission 
And she says, go, my daughter. I pray all goes well with you. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So again, this is after the reapers reap. And she happened to come to the... She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, who was of the family of Elimelech. So as fate would have it, Ruth did not pur- purposefully go find Boaz. There, Naomi didn't say anything about Boaz yet. The writer did. So she just happened to, by God's providence, be in the field where <laughs> Boaz is, where, where her kin- kinsman redeemer is. God has placed her in this field. God has placed her in this field. It's not chance. We all know chance can't do anything, right? It is God. But as it happened, she found herself in this field. So the servant... Oh, I'm sorry. Now behold, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. This is a fantastic man who goes to his servants. Who goes to his servants. This means Boaz was worshiping God before he, before this time. And he goes out, he goes out to his workers and it says, the Lord be with you. Employer, employees, <laughs> take, take heed. Treat your employees well. Employees, treat your employers well. This faithful man goes to his, his servants and says, the Lord be with you. Not, hey, how much have you gleaned? How much have you reaped? What are we at? We're, we're, you know, what's our profit margin this year? <laughs> he says, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. They're faithful to their master, Boaz, as well. Beautiful devotion. Okay, that's what this book is all about. We've seen, you know, calamity and darkness. This is a period of light just before going into the kingdom. Okay. Uh, then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, It is the young Bo- Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So Ruth asked permission from the reapers as well. Ruth didn't just go and, and expect that, you know, I'm just going to sneak over here and hope I don't get caught. She went and asked them, and then the servant says, so she, uh, so she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Ruth is working. Ruth is working. She cares for Naomi. She knows they, she needs sustenance, but Naomi needs sustenance. So she is working from morning until evening and a brief respite. She took a brief respite. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Okay, I guess I'll just say it at this point. We can't look at Boaz without seeing our Lord. This is... Is so typical of Jesus. Here's a foreigner. Here's a foreigner who, who in most fields would be cast out. You have no place. You have no place here. Boaz comes to her and says, "Please don't go to any other field. I've told my men to leave you alone. This would be a great potential danger for a woman to go into these other fields. You know the men." Men, you know, are inclined to do terrible things like that. Boaz 
tells her, not one is going to touch you. Go out with my young women. My men will not come near you, but do not go to another field. My field is your field. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. So she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Repentance. True contrition. She said, she's saying, just like I hope all of us do, how, how have you taken such notice of me, Lord, seeing that I'm a foreigner and I don't deserve salvation? How is it that you have taken notice of me? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Let's remember this. So uh, the wing, that's throughout the Bible as well, being sheltered under the wings of God. Basically, this is our refuge. See, like a hen protects her little chicks in her wings, it's kind of that picture. So he shelters us under his wings. That's going to come back. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Just like Christ's people, for you have treated me like one of your sons and daughters, though I am not worthy to be called your son and daughter. Remember, the prodigal son thought the same thing. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And basically the father said, Okay, I am making you worthy. Same thing here. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed, parched, he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So remember when Christ says, Sit at the end of the table. Don't sit right next to the Lord of the feast. Lest he tells you, this isn't your place. Go and sit at the end of the table. Go and sit at the lowly place and have the master come to you and say, what are you doing here? Come sit by me. That's what Boaz did. That's what Boaz did. He took specific favor to Ruth. Not the other women, not the other reapers. The other reapers are already there. But he, he tells her, come, sit with me. Share my bread, dip it into my vinegar. Just like Judas dipped the bread into the same uh, dip as Christ, and that's when Satan entered him, entered him. This is obviously far different. This is a bond. This is a beautiful bond. He's basically just reassuring her. He's reassuring her. Not only will I'm, am I allowing you glean in my field and everything, but I'm showing you favor. I care for you. I care for you. I see, I see your devotion. I see that you trust God and, and want to be, and, and you've left all your people and come to a place you don't know. You didn't know it was going to happen to you. And so I'm taking great care for you. But he told the, the reapers, he commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. So basically he's saying, let her glean even where the poor are not allowed to glean. Give her extra favor and do not reproach her. Also let your grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. So the root doesn't, you know, 
don't show the don't show Ruth that you're doing this on purpose. But I want you to let some grain fall for her provision. Do this. So not only don't reproach her, but I want you to leave some for her on purpose. Okay, don't tell her. But this is what I want you to do. Um, and also, let the grain from the bundles... Oh, I'm sorry. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So again, do not reproach her, do not rebuke her. And I want you to do this. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. That's a good amount. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she, she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So again... Ruth worked all day for the grain, and she comes back with an ifa, and even the the parched bread that she she had gotten for, she had received from Boaz, she kept part of that back, just for Ruth, just for Ruth. She's sacrificing just for Ruth. Gladly, she wants Ruth. She wants Naomi to be taken care of, and so she's going to take care of her. She kept some back. She brought the grain, and she gave her that other piece of bread. And her mother-in-law said to her, "Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work?" Blessed be the one who took, took notice of you. Because this is a big deal, right? This, this wouldn't be typical. Naomi knows that. Whose field did you go in? Who, sh who actually showed you favor? A Moabites, you know, a foreigner. Not only a foreigner, but one from Moab, who we've had some issues with. Who is it that has shown you favor? So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, the, man, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Remember. Naomi hadn't said anything about Boaz. The writer told us it was Boaz. Right now, that was the first time Ruth had ever heard of Boaz. It was when Boaz says, said, Hi, I'm Boaz. Great to meet you. That's the first time she had ever heard of Boaz. But she tells Naomi, much to Naomi's delight, uh, Naomi, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close, close relatives, so basically, Naomi's saying, Naomi's just introducing here, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. Bless the Lord that you happened <laughs> to, to show up in this field. He's a great man, and he will take great care of you. So blessed be the Lord. Naomi is now rejoicing. That bitterness, that bitterness is fleeting. That bitterness is fleeting. And we'll see. The bitterness turns to sweetness through the providence of God. So... Ruth the Moabites said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Ruth said, That's not all. I'm not done, Ruth. I'm not, I'm not done, Naomi. It's not like he's just letting me glean and he's taking care of me. But he said to stay close by my young men who he promised will not touch me um, until they have finished all my harvest. Meaning Boaz. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his, his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. End of Act 2. End of Act 2. Many different scenes. All of these are separate and specifically separate acts. Now, chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman uh, who you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So, Naomi is devoted to Ruth. Naomi is devoted to Ruth. And she says, look, 
Boaz is a close relative of ours. You've, you've read the law. <laughs> you read the law. You know about this kinsman redeemer. And, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, I can't have, I can't conceive any more sons. Boaz is a great second place. <laughs> you know, this, is a, this is a great alternative. But this is what I want you to do. Go get washed. Don't, basically go see where Boaz, after he's eaten, after he's, you know, after he drinks, once he's tired, go see where he lies down. Go there and uncover his feet. Now, there's no stipulation for this in the Bible. I actually think this, I personally think this might have been a practice done by the Moabites that Naomi's taking, taking with her. So we'll see Boaz isn't perfectly agreeable to this situation. I mean, basically, think about it. You know, in, in, in the people of God, who would send a girl into the private headquarters, you know, private quarters of a man just by herself? You know, that's not advisable. But she trusts Boaz, but she's basically saying, you know, go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So Naomi says, this is, this is, this is my plan. This is the plan I can think of, you know. And, and, and this would be a provision. With a kinsman redeemer, the woman can ask for marriage, and that's basically what Naomi is saying. Go and do this to ask for his hand in marriage. And she said to her, all that you, may, all that you say to me, I will do she's devoted to her. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all her mother-in-law instructed. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she, sang, she, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? Oh, no, I'm sorry. By the way, Boaz means in him is strength. Sorry, I forgot to tell you what Boaz meant. In him is strength. Okay. So, uh, so, so she goes and does this, right? She goes and, and she uncovers his feet. All of a sudden, Boaz gets startled. Maybe, you know, his feet were getting cold. I don't know. He's startled. And then he wakes up and he's like, who are you? Now, he knows who Ruth is, but in the dark, you know, and once you're startled and awake, you don't know who anybody is. <laughs> you know, you're, you might be inclined not to even know that it's your wife who's in the, or your husband, as it were, that, that's in the room once you're startled awake sometimes like this. So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, Naomi did not tell her to do this. She said to go do this and wait until what she, he says. Wait, he will tell you what you must do. But Ruth, had that conversation with Boaz about being under the wing of the Lord. And now Ruth is saying, take your maidservant under your wing. Under your wing. Because you are a close relative. This is, this is your job, Boaz. This is your job. And, and I'm devoted to Naomi. And I ask that, that, you, that you fulfill this great devotion. That you fulfill your role here. Okay? So, then he said... Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. Remember the, the, the wedding feast at Cana, or Cana, where they run out of wine, and basically, you know, Mary goes and asks you know, Jesus to, to do something about this, and then he does, and then the, the, the master of the feast says to the, to the bridegroom, most of the time, in most parties, most festivals, they bring out the good wine first. 
And then once everybody's kind of drunk, they, they bring out the bad one, the nasty one. You've done it in reverse. You started with the less, you know, decent wine, and then you ended it with the best wine. This is what Ruth is. This is what Ruth is. She started out faithful and devoted, and now it's even, she's even being more devoted, being even more faithful. So Boaz is even pointing that out. For you did not go after young men, whether rich, poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. That's amazing. That's amazing. Word has gotten around, probably largely because of Boaz and his servants. Everybody's talking about Ruth. Who is this Ruth character? Who is this foreigner who's coming from Moab with Naomi? Why does she come with Naomi? Why didn't she just hang out, find a husband there? That would be easier. You know what? Who is this? And word's getting around. This woman is fantastic. This woman is wonderful. This woman is devoted. She's far more pious than many of us. <laughs> she worships the Yahweh. Better, more than we do, basically. Ruth is a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he, that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So basically he's saying, okay, cool. But there is actually one who's who's a closer relative. Now, there's a lot here that, God willing, we, when we return to this, we'll get into more. But right now, he's basically just saying, there is one who's actually a closer kin. So, stay here, lie here, remain here. We're not doing it, but remain here, sheltered with me. But I, will, I promise you, I will figure this out. You know, if, he's, if, if he will redeem it, if he will, if he will be your kinsman redeemer, good, let him do it. So, Boaz... Who, who wants to marry Ruth, still is choosing to do it the right way. The right thing is to offer the land and Ruth to the closest kinsman redeemer. So that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He doesn't, he doesn't falter at any point here. Neither does Ruth. So he says, just hang out here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said... Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's telling his people that, and she, he's telling her. Because this might be a great scandal. You know, Ruth, I know Naomi told you to do this, but that's not, that's not cool here. You know, so, so remain concealed. Don't let anybody know this. Reapers, men, don't tell anybody about this. This is an obfuscation. This is, this is mercy extended to Ruth. Ruth didn't know any better. Ruth was doing what she was told from Naomi, from an Israelite, you know? So it's not her fault. So Boaz is taking care of her, still protecting her, taking her under his wing already. Then she said, oh, I'm sorry. Then she told her, oh, I'm sorry. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she, then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, this six ephahs of, of barley he gave me, for, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Basically, this is kind of his dowry. He's got to do it on, you know, on the down low, but he's not only fulfilling this and his role as a kinsman redeemer, but he is gifting them for their devotion as well. So this is kind of a dowry. Then she said, so Naomi told Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the, the matter this day. 
basically Naomi saying, I know this Boaz character. All right, Ruth, I know this man. This man is not going to sleep again <laughs> until he settles this. So hang out, chill out. This matter will be settled today. Chapter 4, scene 4, or act 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had, sp had spoken came by. So Bo now he went to the gate. Now the gate at this point, at this time, is a great... We've seen this kind of uh, even in the New Testament, but the gate was really where the men, the great men, the chief men of the city would come and talk and judge judgments would be rendered. So this is kind of where, you know, the court would be held as well, or the marketplace, all sorts of different things. But this is where they would render judgment, uh, gather in councils and so forth. So that's what he's doing. So Boaz said, uh, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and, and sat down. Now, this term friend literally is so-and-so. So this is the only character who is unnamed in this story. And again, my, my conjecture is that the writer purposefully, well, we'll get to that actually. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So the one so-and-so and 10 other men sat, sat down here. It's a big, it's actually indicative of how, how, he, how well he was respected. Basically, Boaz is sitting at the gate and he's saying, hey, Come on over here. We need to chat. And ten of you, come on over here. <laughs> come on over here. You need a witness. And they do. And they do. Not because he's some tyrannical dictator, but because he's highly respected. They're more than happy to come. When, they, when Christ calls us, we gladly come. Right? Well, hopefully. But that's what, they, that's what they're doing. He's highly respected, so they come. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So basically, he's saying, Ruth had to sell her land. That's what widowers, widows would have to do, basically. So the next kinsman redeemer, if, you know, they're too old to remarry and so forth, they would just redeem the land. So this is great profit for this so-and-so character. This, this, is, this is a great proposition for him. He doesn't know about Ruth right now. He doesn't know about Ruth being part of the deal, but he's saying, ah, oh. <laughs> so basically I just need to buy up the land and increase my estate. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Sorry you're, sorry you're second, Boaz, but yeah, I'm jumping on board that train. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay. So basically he's saying, I can't, look, this is going to, basically, the, 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 whoever Ruth ends up marrying this man, once they have a child, that, once that child is grown, then he will inherit the land, and basically the name of Elimelech will continue. Not so-and-so, Elimelech. So basically, he's got to redeem it, work the land, and then basically hand it over to another name. Okay, names are an important deal. Whenever, you know, one would be cast off, basically Limelech and his two sons, Naomi's thinking, our line is shut off, shut down, and there's a lot to that. But the, the Mr. So-and-so is saying, okay, I can't re redeem it then, because 
it's going to defile my, my inheritance, basically. So, I think the writer's leaving him unnamed. This, so, if you read Le Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, when this would happen, when a brother or the closest of kin would deny redeeming this, then they would take off their sandal. This, this is just, a, this is like signing a contract, okay? Is the we'll see the sandal. But even in that, in that place, in the law, you take the sandal and you spit in that person's face. And you say, such, is it, such must it be for one who would not carry on his brother's name, basically. Now, Boaz doesn't spit in his face, but they do trade sandals, okay? Because Boaz is very merciful. Okay, he's not going to spit in this man's face. He gives him an opportunity. He declines. And so Boaz uh, is going to make this contractually done. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel, as we just mentioned. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I, have brought, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Melon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Milan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead throughout, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So, Elimelech was also, you know, a person who would, who would rule at the gates. And so basically he's saying... I'm going to carry this on for the dead. You know, I'm going to carry on this brother's name and Elimelech's name, my, my relative's name, through Ruth. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, who's, whom Tamar... Uh, bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Real quickly, that was that was the last words from Boaz, basically saying, his he is making it. He he's redeeming Ruth, and he and he does it in the sight of witnesses. Christ redeemed his people in the presence of all witnesses, all sorts of witnesses. He did his miracles through eyewitness testimony. He was raised and shown himself to eyewitness testimony. He ascended back to his father in eyewitness testimony. Boaz redeems Ruth in the presence of men to witness this contract, just like Christ. This is the last words of Boaz. Oh, and the account of Tamar to Judah I'd love to get into, but it, it, read chapter 38 of Genesis. It's kind of an interesting little little footnote that's kind of thrown in there. This, this is right, this chapter happens right after the brothers sell uh, Joseph to the Midianites. And then there's this story about Judah account and Tamar basically having to act like a prostitute in order to continue this lineage. So Tamar is, 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 is kind of like Ruth in, in, in a certain respect. So I think this is perfectly providential and fitting that this line continues from Tamar to, to Rahab and now Ruth. Okay, now Tamar was an Israelite, but back then they were, they were just Hebrews. There was no Israel at that time. So anyway, so briefly, go ahead and read 
chapter 38 of Genesis, uh, if you want to know more about that. And if you want to know more about the Levite vow uh, or the, the law that's in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. So, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. May his name be fam famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Basically they're saying, you came back empty. You came back bitter. Now God has redeemed you. God has restored you. And now God has given you Ruth, who is better than seven sons. You lost your husband, you lost your two sons, but God has provided you with one who is better than seven sons. Remember, seven symbolizes completion, it's whole, like the seven days of creation. That's really where it kind of started. But seven is whole, perfect. Uh, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Beautiful. Beautiful. She hadn't had a grandchild yet. She had two sons. She had a husband. They all died, and now she has her grandchild. The Lord has blessed her. The Lord has blessed her. He has turned her, her... She was pleasant. She was sweet. She was delightful. She was bitter. Now oh, he's making her sweet again. He's given her sweetness. As many grandparents know, grandchild is... There's a great... Cherish, cherishing of grandchild, and Naomi has that. Naomi has this finally. She thought that was hopeless. She thought she would never have any family like this again. And because of the devotion of Ruth, not only does she has, have a companion and a close friend and confidant, she now has a grandchild. The name will carry on. She did love her husband, so this is fantastic. This is wonderful. Also the neighbor women came, gave him a name, saying, there is, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Oh, where's the... Oh. Uh, he, also, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Oh, yeah, thank you. Okay. Obed means serving or worshiping. Uh, Jesse means I possess, or wealthy, virtuous. Again, the same kind of deal. David, we've mentioned, means beloved. So... And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Remember, this is pointing toward David. This is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab uh, begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Salmon, remember, is the one who married Rahab. If we go to Matthew's genealogy, that's where it is. That's where it is. Salmon. And Rahab had, uh, um, had Boaz. So again, what I, remember when we were, we were looking at Rahab, Boaz is Rahab's son. And so I think when he, when he saw Ruth and her faithfulness, he thought back to his mother, whom seemingly isn't around. At least she's not in the narrative. And... I can't imagine, you know, Salmon not being there either. I think by now they're past. It seems like uh, Boaz was much older because he even, he, he commends Ruth for not looking for any younger men, basically. He's, got, he's older. 
and neither rich or poor. Basically, he's middle class. You know, so you 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 didn't look for a young man. You didn't look for a rich man. You are faithful to the lineage. You are faithful to Naomi. But I think Boaz saw in Ruth her his mother. What a fantastic providence. What a tremendous and amazing God we serve. What an amazing story. What a wonderful account. When, when so many people assume that the God of the Old Testament is this cruel tyrant who just goes around killing everybody, let us see his abundant faithful hand. His mercy has no end. It's no different in the New Covenant. It's applied differently, as we will see. It's applied differently, but it's no less or more. His faithfulness doesn't wax, doesn't grow tired, he doesn't grow weary. He's strong and mighty to save. He's mighty to deliver between, by, from many different men and women. So, as we go from Ruth into the, the book of Sam, 1 Samuel, and we'll look at 2 Samuel somewhat too when we look at David, I want to, we need to see the, the progression and the regression and then the progression and the regression. You know, there's, a, there's ascending and descending, ascending and descending. This is the only book in all the Bible given over specifically to a woman. In the Apocrypha, the book of Judith, I think is a fantastic book, but that is not in the Reformers canon. But there are reasons for that. I think it is, I think it is God-ordained, and I, you know, I don't think it's dangerous or heretical to read that, or First and Second Maccabees, or the Book of Wisdom. The Book of Wisdom is fantastic, but that is not in the Reformers' canon either. It wasn't in the original canon. The Catholics added it much later. But anyway, as we, as we look, as we continue going into First Samuel, everything that transpired everything that's transpired to the king, okay? Because as we continue this series of men and women in the Bible, until we come to Christ, we will see this manifest in this, in this situation, just before the king comes, and then it will continue until the king comes. So let's watch his hand. Let's see his hand. Right now we get to... This is kind of, this, I think this is a fascinating series for some of us who aren't as familiar with the Old Testament because we get kind of a brief overview. We get kind of a fly-by, bird's-eye look at the Old Testament through these characters, through these true people. So, we need to keep an eye. We need to keep watch and pay attention to what God is doing through His people. All right? All right, praise God. Let's pray. Thank you that your faithfulness spreads throughout the ages. You remain the same. Your sons and daughters you have provided for so strongly, so graciously, so mercifully, as now you do your sons and daughters. Father, may we see your tender hand of mercy, your great providence, in and through your mighty hand of providence. So now, 
as we move from the old covenant to the covenant of your son. I ask that you reveal, you show yourself from one to the other, that you are not different. You are unchangeable. Let us see you high and lifted up. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.